You are listening to the Fancy Free Podcast, where my guests and I tell our most embarrassing, funny stories so that we all feel less alone in our imperfections and forge connection through vulnerability and humor. I'm Joanne Jarrett, and I'm your host. And today I have for you Kat Zecker. She is a fellow physician that I met in a physician Facebook group. Kat is a physician educator and a married mom of two. She focuses on resident wellness and feedback with lots of hands-on mentoring, so she frequently jokes that it feels like she has 54 children. Ugh. <laughs> Life is a special kind of juggling right now with a husband who works 24-hour shifts at a firehouse and a three- and six-year-old. But when she breaks away from that, she loves aerial acrobatics, meditation, and single malt scotch. Kat, thank you so much for being with me today. Joanne, it's an absolute pleasure. Oh, thank you. Well, fill in the blanks. What did I miss about who you are and what you do? Really, you've nailed it. Is I, I am a physician educator. As much as I love the hands-on care of patients being at the bedside, making that direct difference, anybody who works with physicians in training my residents, that's our way of reaching into the future that after mm. I am old and gray and no longer in practice, there is somebody after me who really holds my ideals of good patient care and will carry that on. I love that. That is so, so important. It's not as if all the doctors need to learn is the book work. There's so much sort of intangible that you learn from your mentors. I have to tell you kind of a funny thing. I'm actually kind of ashamed of this, but I'm going to tell you anyway. I did a family medicine residency and then I only practiced for a few years before I stopped practicing to have my kids. And that is not the way we planned to do it, but it's just the way it worked out. So when I was in my last year of residency, I had told one of the attendings, I just kind of confided in, in him and said, I do not like to teach these medical students and these younger residents. They just give me such a run for my money. It's so frustrating because I felt like they maybe weren't trying hard enough. You know, they just seemed so laissez-faire. Not all of them, but the ones that did, I was like, you guys, you are holding lives in your hands. How can we be acting so cavalier about this? Try harder, stay longer. And not that I was a cowboy balls to the wall. It has to be painful for you or it's not good medicine. Not like that, but I was just like, I just don't see the fire in their bellies. They're just not advocating for their patients like I would expect them to. And he looked at me like a deer in the headlights. And I thought, oh, shoot, maybe I shouldn't have said something. I don't Somehow this interaction has gone awry and I'm not sure how. Anyway, I just kind of let it go. Well, the next night we had an awards banquet for our residency program and I got the teaching award. (laughs) I was like, oh, no, I'm so sorry. (laughs) You know, there's the funny thing. We as women physicians, we have this imposter syndrome of you felt like Mm. you weren't meeting the learners where they were or there was somebody not holding up a bargain. But I bet you anything that your learners saw you having that fire in your belly, you advocating for your patients. So maybe you didn't explicitly feel like an educator, but you know, there's no better way to teach than to walk the walk and talk the talk. That's really a good point, because I could have had an impact on them that wouldn't have manifested until they were away from me. Well, anyway, I very sheepishly accepted that teaching award. And I was like, oh, (laughs) well, I tried. (laughs) Poor Dr. Hess. It was too late. You know, they'd already carved my name in the plaque. (laughs) (laughs) There was no taking it back. That's right. Okay, we're going to move right into the rapid fire questions that you picked. What is something unexpected that has changed about you in the past few years? I finally figured out that I have curly hair. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Well, okay. So obviously, I have had 
my hair my whole entire life. And <laughs> all through my mother's family, we're all a bunch of curly girlies. But none of us ever knew how to take care of it because my dear, wonderful mother, who is going to listen to this, <laughs> she and her sisters came of age in the 60s, 70s, where my grandfather would literally have to pack the clothes iron in his trunk of his car to go to work every day. Or otherwise, his ears would be in danger of burning down the house trying to iron each other's hair flat um, oh, to get that, you know, perfect 70s sleek waterfall of hair. So it was just never understood about how you condition and care for naturally curly hair. And I just recently stumbled on it because, of course, I have now passed all of the curly on to my daughter. And so I have curly hair now at age 30-some. Because you finally figured out how to wear it curly instead of just fighting the curl and making it straight all the time? Oh, yeah. Instead of endlessly searching of which straightener that, you know, would heat your hair to a million degrees to get, you know, the 70s perfect sheen that I grew up desiring. So now I have this this big lion's mane of super curly hair and I, I love it. And my daughter awesome. rocks it too. Oh, that's so great. I'm a curly girl as well. I have passed the genes on to both of my kids. And my hair turned curly during puberty all in one fell swoop. And my mom has stick straight hair. She had no clue how to do it. I mean, she, she, she's like, yeah, we're screwed. I have no clue how to deal with this curly hair. <laughs> so it's been a lifelong struggle for me too. I'm with you. Okay, what's the scariest thing you've ever done for fun? So I didn't think it was going to be scary when I got on it because I am, as my bio would state, I do aerial acrobatics. I've been skydiving. <laughs> I played roller derby. So I am no stranger to like, let me do this crazy thing. Let's see what happens. But I live in Southeast Michigan, Detroit metro area, and there's lots of little inland lakes. And my mother-in-law lives on one. On this lake, there floats what looks like a giant half-inflated vinyl pillow. The idea of this is that one person lays down on one end of the pillow and then people climb up this scaffolding, which is questionably safe. Oh my goodness. Michigan Lake culture is an interesting thing. Not necessarily thought out ahead of time about the whether or not this is a good idea, but it sounds fun. So let's try it. Oh my gosh. Lots of beer and pontoon boats. My mother-in-law, my father-in-law, my husband and I, and we were exchanging who would jump onto the pillow and who would get launched off of it into the water. And incidentally, out of this, I am the smallest person of the group. And I went last <laughs> and they said, okay, for our last one, we're going to have fun. We're going to put the two biggest people on to launch. Oh, the two biggest people? Oh my yes. gosh. <laughs> and you were the launchy. Exactly. We were getting these poor quality launches of like, eh, okay, that was kind of fun. And they're like, no, we're going to do it right. And I should have, in retrospect, been like, guys, maybe not. But they did. And they launched me. And watching the footage back after, it had to be 20 feet plus up in the air. I just, <laughs> oh I looked gosh. like some rag doll that had just been tossed. And I, I, wow. I remember as I was cresting in my, my arc and I'm looking down at the water, I'm thinking, this is it. This is the horrific accident that I'm going to have to explain for the rest of my life because I will have broken every bone in my body and or my neck. Or this is how I die. Exactly. And I'm looking down like, this is how I go out, really? Oh my God. I ended up with a black eye from it. Oh, you're kidding. I did. I had a black eye. Ouch. So here's, here's my next question. 
Is this footage available, pray tell? I think so. Uh, I have a terrible track record with phones and other devices and water, so I may have cooked the phone it was on. <laughs> well, you look into it and let me know. I'd be fun to put that in the show notes. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I will see if my ragdoll airborne acrobatics. I'd love to see that. Maybe that's where that all started. <laughs> yeah. Oh, so you did that prior to the aerial acrobatics that you do. Yes. Aerial acrobatics, is that silks or is that something totally different? Yes. So I say... Cirque du Soleil. But what I mean is if the Cirque du Soleil people had spent one or two years doing it and not a lifetime. Okay, so it's more fun to do than to watch in your case. It's a ball to do, but I am not the pretty, flexible, graceful. Um, I can do some tricks, but not not like the pros. So they are at another inhuman level. So there's the silks that you can grab onto and twist yourself up and do these rolls or twists or drops down. But the other one that's really fun is this lira, which is a vertical metal hula hoop. Oh. Yeah. So you can climb to the top and flip to the bottom and make all these pretty poses. And it spins, which gets interesting. What? (laughs) If you feel a little vertiginous uh, midway through an act. Huh. How interesting. Well, I was a gymnast growing up, so I did CrossFit for a little while. And that was as close as I could get to grown-up gymnastics. But it beat my body up and I had to stop doing it. But maybe aerial acrobatics would be slightly less brutal. (laughs) That sounds like fun. And if you feel the need to run away and join the circus, like that's, you got your CV ready. Got a skill in the back pocket. Yes. That can never hurt. (laughs) That's great. Okay. What's your silliest memory with your best friend? So my best friend, Amy, my work wife for life. Oh, I love it. Trained with her and then worked at our, our institution together. She is a force of nature. Her stories humble mine every day of the week. And so if she calls me up and asks, you know, what you doing, there's going to be something going Ah. on. And (laughs) so her, what you doing on, God, I think it was a Tuesday morning. And I was, I was not so far out from the birth of my daughter, you know, Uh. single digit months. And I had broken my leg when she was a few weeks old. And so I'm rehabbing through all of that. And so I'm feeling, oh yeah, it was, it was a time. And that was your first baby? (laughs) Yes. You had a newborn baby and a broken leg. Oh my gosh. That's not what you signed up for. Not at all. And nobody would let me put her in the little basket on the front of the mobility scooter that I had. (laughs) How rude. (laughs) That that was a viable solution. She was she was in the potato stage. She wasn't going to move around. She was fine. Right. You're like, I've I've swaddled her so tight. She can hardly turn her head. <laughs> How could she possibly leap out of here? <laughs> so I'm getting through this tumultuous period in my life. And of course, Amy's antidote to this was to sign us both up to be extras in Magic Mike XXL. Wow. Yes. For those not in the know, this is the sequel to the famous... <laughs> male burlesque stripper movie with Channing Tatum, which was filmed in Savannah, Georgia. And so you presented yourselves as extras? Did you actually get chosen or how does that work? We we got on. We we (laughs) were in it. So uh, spoiler alert, there's a convention scene at the end. They have to get the gang back together to all go to a stripper convention. (laughs) And so there's multiple stripper acts going on. And we were in the big convention scene because they just needed a boatload of extras. Oh my gosh. How fun. And yes. Um, they are just as devastatingly good looking as you would think. Eye candy all around. 
It was a hoot. A lot of it was, you know, standing, waiting around while they reset everything. Mm -hmm. And then they would shoot 30 seconds of footage and stand and reset and shoot 30 more seconds. But those were great seconds. (laughs) Wow. That's really cool. So you actually got to see the stars. It's not like you were in a scene where they were not around. No, they were there. I mean, they were across, you know, there were hundreds of people. I had to go home and tend to the single month infant. But Amy hung around for the 18 hour day it ended up being. (laughs) And so she was there for the infamous, um, I want to intercourse you in the method of animals scene. <laughs> intercourse you? <laughs> I'm not sure how profane the podcast is. <laughs> I appreciate the creativity with choosing a different word. <laughs> There's a sex swing involved and it was, per her oh report, gosh. a sight to behold. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's so amazing. (laughs) Wow. That's a crazy story. That is a perfect segue into your last rapid fire question, which is, have you ever met a celebrity? My celebrity encounter is way more tame. Um, And it's no... I think most are the names. Um, (laughs) So Dave Coulier of the Uncle Joey from Full House fame, also the guy that Alanis Morissette wrote the really angry song about. Oh, I did not know that. Okay. Right. So he was a big supporter of Detroit hockey back in the day, as was my grandfather. So he and my grandmother were these family friends that kind of just went way back. And so there was this informal gathering at my grandmother's house, and I was only four or five years old. But there was a scenario when somebody let a door close and it locked everybody out in the backyard. And me being the smallest one, I I got boosted up into a window so I could, you know, crawl through and go back to the front door and unlock and get everybody back in. I didn't know being small was so dangerous. This is your second I'm the smallest <laughs> one, so I'm putting harm's way story. <laughs> this is funny. The pattern of my life, evidently. Uh, but yeah, so Dave Coulier pushed me through a window uh, is the punchline. Wow. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> I love it. Okay, well, as you know, the point of this podcast is to share our silly, not-so-fancy, embarrassing moments so that we can all laugh together and realize no one's as fancy as they look. What do you have for us today? So, you know, they think of doctors as these super dignified, serious people, but no, we are not, as you well know. (laughs) (laughs) I love interviewing other doctors. Of course, I have all kinds of people on my show, but I think my listeners are always super fascinated by hearing about the behind the scenes of doctors' lives because, yes, we do do kind of think of them as just what their role is and not as like a whole goofy human being. So, okay, yes, dignified, carry on. It was my intern year, first year of training. I do internal medicine. And so I worked at a hospital that was absolutely religious in their floor cleanliness. They had an army of those Zamboni floor (laughs) polishers and they would strip it and polish it and then wash it down and then wax it. And so every single night, some part of the hospital floor was being detailed. And on this night, my senior, my supervising resident and I were in the emergency room in that little cubby hole that the residents always hide in to go do our work. (laughs) And there's code blue, which is, you know, patient Mm. is critically ill, crashing, everybody come now. And I'm, I'm a gung ho little intern. So this is my chance to, to be a doctor. 
and I jump up and I run out of the cubby. And sure enough, this little stretch of hallway is what's being polished with. And it wasn't just a little bit of soap. It's like this thick, soupy, soapy goo with signs on it that says, don't cross, don't walk. And there's a guy there with the polisher. But I'm looking at it and it's the fastest way through the goo to get to this code. And I look at it, I'm like, it's four steps. I can do this. <laughs> <laughs> Narrator says she did not do it. I get two steps in and just down I go, arms out, legs out, and I am flat in the soapy goo. My scrubs no. are soaked. I try to get back up and back down, sploosh, there I go again. It was so slippery. I couldn't get friction on anything to stand up. And the floor polisher guy is standing here looking at me like, who let this woman become a doctor? <laughs> what is her damage? Did she not see my signs? What did she think? And, and I, I see him just heave this big sigh and literally like grab my arm and haul me bodily, like sliding across the floor through the goo. <laughs> and I get out of the goo. Oh. And I pop up and good little intern cat goes running for the coat. Like this, this incident has not deterred me. And as I'm running covered in bubbles, there's literally like froth coming out of the sides of my shoes. Oh my gosh. Because it's serious. I got to get there. The chief on service takes one look at me as he's running the code. I'm like, I'm here. I'm going to help. He's like, what happened? How how did this happen inside the hospital? <laughs> There's suds in my hair. Everything is soaked head to toe. You're leaving a trail of bubbles in the air as you're running I down really the hall. Was. I really was. I'm positive. Footprints down the hallway. And I was like, I slipped and fell, but I'm here. I'm gonna, I'll am gonna. i do chest compressions. He's like, no, you are not touching the patient covered in whatever chemicals you have been doused in. And so I walk my sad, soapy walk of shame to the <laughs> locker room. I have to ditch literally everything, undergarments and socks and, and what have you. And thankfully, there's more scrubs in the hospital that I can then change into. But no underwear. So then you're commando under your scrubs. <laughs> yes, for the rest of the night. And I had my soapy shoes, which like, I remember leaving them out in the rain later and they still soap sudsed up. Uh, <laughs> the other story of doctors is how we build each other up and support each other. So my co-resident, my other intern that was with me that night, Jess, you know, she's such a sweet person. She pointed and laughed heartily. And that next morning we had a conference room where you do morning report, where you go over the teaching case and all the residents learn on the whiteboard in the conference room just had very helpfully made a stick figure diagram of the whole sequence of events. <laughs> like a cartoon strip. <laughs> so during morning report, when she told the entire residency what had happened overnight, that she could point to all the pictures. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Incidentally, this happened to the day 11 years ago. Facebook just popped up to remind me, as Facebook does, of like, hey, remember this? It was a post from my chief resident that tagged me and said, what do you do when your code team leaves you hanging? 
due to their sudden desire to play slip and slide on wet hospital <laughs> floors. Oh, no. <laughs> so, yes, years later, I still get crap about it. Your entire team just came to your aid, didn't they? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Those turkeys. Well, at least they had fun with it. Well, if your hair was straight before you fell in that good and stay straight after that. <laughs> I'm just glad that I didn't grow some additional limb or growth. I'm yes. positive there was some not-for-human-consumption chemical in that soapy goo. Yeah, for sure. I was like, this is some serious detox of the floor happening. It's not supposed to be detoxing human skin. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, that's great. You have two stories. What's story number two? I do. This is during my attending years, so I theoretically am older and wiser than the slip and slide intern. But now I have technology and I am inept when it comes to sending messages. Like oh, no. it's the autocorrect that gets me or I'll send it to the wrong person. So when I discovered emojis for the first time and we were all tickled, you know, emojis were so just the best. Mm -hmm. And so I type out a message. It was let's hammer bang like a uh, bunny rabbit face bunnies and i meant to send it to my husband of course my dearly beloved <laughs> i sent it to my partner anurita <laughs> oh. who did not take me up in my offer she declined she did not want to bang like bunnies but she respectfully declined <laughs> but she uh she thought it was great so she teased me about that but then what happened is then i had children and as you well know, when children get a hold of technology, that's like a whole nother can of worms. So oh boy. Yep. I was on a big group chat because my residents had an immigration visa lawyer give a, a, a lecture and we all had a group chat to discuss the ins and outs of it. And my daughter gets a hold of my phone and sends, I love you, to 30 of my residents. Uh, <laughs> Whoops. My son, the second generation of the emoji that would map onto your features and you could make it do things and say things. He managed to get a hold of that. He recorded himself belching repeatedly as a unicorn. <laughs> Sent that to my resident, Shadi. I can only imagine these poor officials' reactions when these messages come across. <laughs> Especially like when I'm there attending and supposedly this responsible teacher mentor figure authority <laughs> who's sending them these ridiculous things i've asked residents to pick up the kids to get milk they did not do that either <laughs> they won't do it they're off the clock man but the culminating one this was the perfect storm of everything that could go wrong with a single message the sequence of events was my chief resident on service texts me at bedtime story hour as I'm sitting there on the, the big cozy chair with my son reading a story. And so piecing back the sequence of events, what I figured out happened was that he was playing with my watch that my messages come through to, and he tapped on my watch in a way to enable the speech-to-text function as I'm reading the bedtime story. Okay. And I'm reading my dear son a story about a swamp monster that wants succotash, that tomato <laughs> and corn dish. But what happened through the speech-to-text function is the response I sent to my resident, who was doing something work-related, was the phrase, suck it. <laughs> oh my <And> god! <laughs> 
hey, can I give this patient five milligrams of blah, 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 blah. Suck it. Exactly. <laughs> and the only reason I knew that something had happened is that another message came through of just the two giant wide open emoji eyes. <laughs> <laughs> because what other emoji can you use when your attending tells you to suck it? <laughs> that was spot on emoji selection on his part. <laughs> and it was. So thankfully, Emery, my resident, has a wonderful sense of humor and has met my little troublemaker of a son. <laughs> but it was very obvious that he did not believe my version of the events. I'm like, no, really? Oh, really? Of course, I'm immediately texting back. Oh, my God. I'm so sorry. My son, he got a hold of my phone. I didn't mean to. We're reading a book about succotash, believe it or not. <laughs> He would not believe me until I texted him a picture of the child's story page with all of the illustrations <laughs> and the word succotash. I love it. Oh my gosh. I died on the like, if you could have died from embarrassment, that was it. That was that was how I was leaving this world. <laughs> the moment when you realize you have told your trusting inferior at work to suck yes. it. Because, yeah, because I saw the emoji eyes and I scroll back up and I see what prompted it. And I'm like, oh, how, how did this how happen? How did this happen to me? Because then I had to piece it back. I had to, like, do the detective sleuthing work to figure out. Of course. Out. How did this happen so we can prevent it from ever happening again? <laughs> those were amazing. I am so sorry those happened to you. And I am so <laughs> glad that you're willing to share them because... That was good stuff. You have to be able to laugh at yourself through all this. Totally. Our job exposes us to like the worst things that can happen to people. Mm -hmm. You're not getting through this without breaking down and just laughing yourself, learning to not take yourself so seriously. So yep. thankfully, through all of these stories, I'm grateful that the people around me give me the grace to laugh at myself <laughs> and don't take me up on the offers to bang or to <laughs> have Belgian unicorns or to suck it. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, we have to we have to be able to laugh at ourselves. We have to allow the people around us to laugh at themselves along with us. And we have to be willing to share these stories with other people when they need to be cheered up or when they need to be encouraged. That they're not the only ones that these kinds of things happen to. And I think that will just improve all, all of our human interactions in general. So well done. <laughs> What have you been loving lately that you think the listeners might love too? So just as a genre of entertainment, the thing I have gotten plugged into are podcasts or YouTube series that step away from something that's really fantastic, either a well-made television show or, you know, Hamilton, and break down what about it is great. The Office Ladies podcast that talks about the show The Office uh, the Fake Doctor's Real Friends that talks about Scrubs. Oh, I've never heard of that one. Oh, oh my gosh. it's brilliant. And it's JD and Turk talking to oh. each other, just giving each other shit endlessly. <laughs> like, dude, it. I think you were hungover for this scene. <laughs> just earlier today, someone told me about the Office Ladies, and now you've told me about the Scrubs rewatch. Oh, my gosh. So tell me, when you listen to these podcasts, do you rewatch the episode before you listen to the episode about the episode? I rewatch it after because the things that you don't appreciate as just the average viewer of why the camera is looking at the characters in this way or how somebody 
delivered a line or conveyed an emotion. When you step back and look at the incredible artistry that comes together to make something as good as The Office or Scrubs that feels really genuine and true, all the moving pieces from the set design to the costumes to the director to the writers and the actors, it just makes you appreciate it so much more. I find all of that super fascinating. I always love behind the scenes tidbits on stuff. So you listen to the podcast episode and then with the knowledge that you've just gained, you rewatch the episode. You know what's going to happen. You know these characters. But then it's it's on this deeper level where you see the people who brought you the characters and appreciate it on that level. That's so fun. What is one surprising thing about you that nobody would know just by looking? I have a boatload of tattoos. Oh, really? Yes. Strategically placed. Right. So there's two little ones that are visible. One for my daughter, a D for Diana, and a C for Calvin that my patients see, but they're real little and, you know, not terribly conspicuous on my wrist. The problem is, is that as soon as you get into tattoos, it's this itch for more. Yeah, I've noticed that people really, once they get one, they're like planning their next one and can't wait to get it. It's fairly an interesting kind of thing. I'm in the works for my next one, which is going to be a big chest piece once I get brave enough for that, because the sternum is one of the most painful spots to get tattooed. I'm working my courage. I've got ones on the back um, and other places. But yeah, that's the one I'm working up to is, is having the courage to sit through a larger tattoo. My husband has a full sleeve. I don't have his patience. What are you going to get placed on your sternum? A thistle, the little purple flower from Scotland. It is thorny and tenacious. I can see where that would be meaningful to you. How interesting. All right. Well, I don't know if you have much of a public reach or if you want listeners to be able to find you, but should you be okay with listeners finding you, where can they do that online? The easiest place to find me is my blog, intentionalmeded.org. You can find me on Twitter. I am inked underscore caduceus. Shout out to the tattoos. My thought was is that I got it the day I, w- I was accepted to medical school because if I had a caduceus tattoo and then washed out, I'd be <laughs> that person that wasn't in the medical field but had a caduceus tattoo. You know what? I have a story about that. That There was one guy in our class that started with us and didn't finish. There was only one of those. And he had MD2B on his license plate of his car. Oh, see? It makes me so sad when I think about it. Ah! Maybe if he had inked MD2B, he would have taken it more seriously and studied. There you go. Change a license license plate. plate. You can switch out. Yeah. Wow. Okay. Awesome. So I will link to all that stuff in the show notes. Oh my gosh, Kat, this was so much fun. Thank you so much for being with me today. This was an absolute pleasure. I'm thrilled to be on. Oh, thank you. And rack your brain. If you think of any other stories, we'll have to do this again. This was really awesome. (laughs) I will have to embarrass myself more in the future. Yes, please. (laughs) Thank you so much for listening to the Fancy Free Podcast today. Wasn't Kat hilarious? Oh my gosh, I love that woman crafts a a spoken story so beautifully. What a hoot. I know I'm not the only one who's selfishly hoping that she embarrasses herself in the near future so that she comes back for another Kat episode. Make sure that you check out the show notes at www.fancyfreepodcast.com slash episode 79 to get all the links we discussed today. Wednesday, I have a special episode coming out with Katie Ponsford and 
This one was so much fun, too. I met her in a sewing group, of all things, on Facebook, and she makes some really funny slash inappropriate things for her husband, and we talk all about that. Monday, we have on the show Michael Larson, who is a professor here at the University of Montana, where I live. She has just some incredible stories. She's lived a very fascinating life, and you're going to love it. It might actually be a pretty long episode because we just cover so much territory, and I don't want you to miss any of it. Then we'll have two weeks off for the holidays. January 4th will be our first date compilation episode. You will get to hear some of the guests from this season come back and tell their crazy date stories, and you'll get a sampling of guests that are coming up in season four. That episode will kick off season four, and then we'll be off and running. If you would like to receive the Fancy Free newsletter, go to fancyfreepodcast.com, scroll to the bottom, and sign up for that. It's once a month. There's always exclusive audio and highlights and statistics about the show. I recap some of the best tips and tricks, and I let you know what's been going on in our previous guests' lives. It's a lot of fun. If you have a not-so-fancy story to tell, there are several ways you can tell me. Number one, you can just email it to me at notfancy at fancyfreepodcast.com, typed out, or you can record a voice memo and email that to me, or you can go to fancyfreepodcast.com, click the big red button, and send me a voice recording that way. And if you want more connection, laughter, and sharing, join us in the Fancy Free Facebook group. It's our private little slice of the internet. The question of the week this week is, what is the most embarrassing accidental text you've ever sent? I'd love it if you would follow the Fancy Free podcast on Instagram and tell a friend about the show. Have a wonderful week, and remember, no one is as fancy as they look.